Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Lewis. Welcome to another way to just tune people out. It's Real Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time, Monday through Friday. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. And on a Tuesday, rural and urban UK, Andrew Henderson joining us, as well as Jay Truitt. I, I can just tell you already, Jay, we're going to miss Angel Cushing today. Uh, you know oh, what? Oh, sorry. Was that, how you, is that, was, was that my replacement last night? Oh, last week. yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, and, and her her and I have become fast friends now. I mean, I I uh, I talked to Angel this w- last week more than I talked to my wife. Really? Uh, Not all things we need to know. Is that allowed to be shared on it? Well, no. And that's and that's that's probably uh, a good thing for my wife and a bad oh. thing for Angel. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Is, that, uh, is that rekindled everything for you then, Jay? No, is that what was done? Yeah, no. we, it did. Hey. It did. It did rekindle in me a spirit to go back and do some lobbying at the uh, at the state and regional level. So no. I think oh, I'm gonna. Nice. I think Very I'm gonna good. pick up some stuff. So I was expecting you to give us all. You to give Trent and I um, a briefing, a pre State of the Union briefing. As a lobbyist, you would have the inside track on on what this. Uh, amazingly honest president of yours is going to say today. Sure. Yeah. The state of the union, uh, uh, pre, uh, pre address analysis, uh, <laughs> lots of small words, <laughs> really big print. <laughs> auto cue. What about auto cue? Do you think that might play a part? I, yeah, I think, uh, I think he'll be, we, we, we call it teleprompter. But yeah, he'll, oh, sorry. he'll be, oh. re- yeah, no, he'll be reading directly from the teleprompter unless he looks down and the page, they, uh, uh they, in all, in all fairness in that, in that regard, print. Jay, when do you think the last president addressed any group of public people without a teleprompter? Mm. Mm, very good point. The difference is though, that. The last president, he would certainly take um, questions from the press uh, after after his after his uh, speeches. This one just turns around and walks off. So yeah, there is a big that, difference after that blank after that little blank stare that he gives everyone. You <laughs> yeah. know, a little smirk, and then he turns around. Right? No. Yeah. Uh, so it's a good it's a good question, Trent. Obviously, Trent uh, Trump. Spent a fair amount of time, right, going off script. Yes, uh, in yeah. every speech, he was kind of infamous for that. Um, yeah, i I have been t- i've I spent more time with George W. Bush than any of the others, obviously. Okay, um, for yeah. people that know me and know my history, um, I have seen him speak a good number of times without a teleprompter, to the dismay of the people that were staffing him. Yeah, because they'll be hanging on every word, and if he gets something wrong, he can be hauled over the coals for anything, can't he? Yeah, and he, but, but he was, uh, uh, he did have a tendency once in a while to uh, combine words together or to try to, you know, and he kind of thought he was funnier than he really was, and he was a funny, <laughs> guy, but 
he would he would just make things up, you know. Um, yeah. And oh, and it, well, Joe won't do that, will he? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, yeah, uh, he's yeah, not no, making them up. He's he's saying what he honestly thinks. That's the sad part. Is is out. I think Biden believes he's a great at giving a great speech the whole yeah. time. Well, you know, uh, how I had anybody possibly do a speech uh, today and paint a positive picture about where the USA is right at this time. It's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see how he just gaslights the whole of your country and the rest of the world. It, it'll be more interesting to see if anybody pays attention. Well, actually, Trent, if you want to wake people up, you would want mm-hmm. everybody to watch it. Yeah, I won't It's be. the opposite of you, what you think, because there's no way he's going to get through this without making huge gaffes. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's, it is I wanted to just, Jay, time, but... I wanted to just follow up on your deal with George W. Thinking that he was funnier than he really was. <laughs> I, I actually have one of those experiences with him. We were doing the, the George W. Bush wounded warrior golf outing with the all American beef battalion in Texas. And he showed up and for whatever reason, I don't remember why, and I can't find it today, but I have a picture of it. I had a business card that his father, George Bush had signed on the back. Very cool. And so I walked up to George W and I said, you know, this guy, he said, yeah, I've met him here. Let me sign that for you. He signed it. He handed it back to him and he said, now it's worth something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oops, (laughs) kind of a dig at that. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, but that just plays right into what you said. He thought yeah. he was funnier than he was. Actually, that and was he, kind of well, funny. and again, he really was actually a very bright man, or is a very bright man. I don't think he's he's lost much of a step uh, it, it, academically and intellectually. He just had a hard time verbalizing his IQ. And some people are really good at talking, and some people are really good at doing. And he was. Yeah he was better at just doing it and not really saying what he was doing. But with, so I, no, I go back. I would say, I do think that we have had one in recent history that probably could give an hour and a half speech. And that was Bill Clinton without ever looking at a cue card. That was one of his great talents um, that he could remember every talking point, maybe still remembers them, you know, he could probably still give those same speeches today and tell you people that were in the crowd. He was he was great at working a crowd, which I think is the biggest problem we have today, whether it be politically or in business. Everybody wants to talk about talking points. Yeah. Instead of talk about the issue. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So can I? So could, I, I want to ask the, the other things because I'm getting a bit confused about. Uh, I, I want to come back to that this speech. It says it's taking place at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh-huh. So when would that be? Because I'm trying to work out when that is. You, that uh, would be five hours behind you. 
Yeah, it's when the it's when the little hand is on the nine and the big hand will be on the twelve. <laughs> oh, that see that's Jake. So he's I am funnier so than he really is. I'm <laughs> because without that guidance, I would be nowhere in this world. Right, really. three a.m. Um, It'll be live at three a.m. at your no two a.m. I'm yeah. sorry, two a.m. at your house. Yeah, it's two a.m. 2 a.m. So I'm I'm trying to work out yeah. why is he doing it that late at night? What's that's, that that's all it. about? That's normal. That's when it always is. Uh, yeah. Okay. State and, of the Union is almost always at either eight or nine. Because that's okay. six. So o- that's it, six o'clock. Here's the next question. I, I'm I'm here asking questions. Why have they constructed fences all around the Capitol? Why? Uh, do, just for do people go and watch security. it? Uh, oh, oh yeah. Go and watch it. Well, some people do. Yeah, uh, it's it, you have it's a ticket. You've got to get a special ticket to get in. Uh, you'll it's by invitation only to be inside the building. But I think they were expecting a fairly good number of people might protest around the building. It's not completely uncommon. It's not normal either. But it happens. Wait a minute. What, what's in between not completely uncommon and not normal? <laughs> It's rare. It's, it's rare. It's, it's rare, but it's on the nine and the little hands on the three. Yeah, yeah. See, exactly yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, huh. it'll happen maybe one out of every four speeches, one out of every five, something like that, that somebody will decide to protest around the Capitol during the State of the it, Union. It's more common than it used to be. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and honestly. People for people don't realize this. At one point in the United States, until we got TV cameras and radio that covered the speech live, um, the president uh, didn't go to the Capitol to give the State of the Union. He typed it out and sent a report to Congress. And some of them, um, once radio came along, gave it from their office, right yeah. in, in the White House. They didn't. They didn't go up. It wasn't a big hoopla. Like it is today. Hoopla now. We got to take a break. It's Roll Route. Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson. We'll be back with more after this. Let's take a moment and talk about proper nutrition. In this case, we're talking about nutrition for you, the human being. Beef is the nutritional component that should be a dietary need on a daily basis, an essential dietary component. That's what we're talking about. And in particular, I'm talking about certified Piedmontese. I do raise them, so I'm telling you my personal bias, but let me tell you why I raise them. Because it works. Because the cattleman is paid properly. The quality of beef will bring people back time and time again. You should see this prime rib that I'm working on a commercial right now for the TV program. It was served to the Piedmontese breeders in Denver. When the consumer has something like this and cooked right, like the cooks did in Denver... You're going to want it time and time again. Certified Piedmontese for the tender beef experience. Welcome back. Trent Lewis alongside Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson, and uh, and you, maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Jay, what? Um, I'm, um, I want to go back to okay. Angel because... Angel's spot on. She's a champion. I know for a fact you can talk to Angel all you want. And all you're ever going to talk about is property rights because the woman is passionate. She's driven and going to make a difference and going to do it at the county level. I'm happy to see that that's wearing off on you. Yeah, no, she 
So again, I think what we did spend a lot of time talking about was just some different strategy options on, on how to approach different areas of the country and the help and who's not going to help us, right? Which there's a bunch of farm organizations that aren't going to allow this to interfere with the, with income streams that they're trying to manage for people. And we've had this discussion before. Mm. Uh, all of us make concessions. Once once you sign up for those conservation easements or those farm program payments, it becomes a really difficult thing to wean yourself away from that. And those become the avenues that our property rights um, opponents use to get into our business in the first place. And, um, peop- I, you know, uh, it's sad. But uh, it is a reality that you got to face. And if you're going to hit the issues head on, you need to understand who who's your friend, who is your foe and who are the people that just don't want you in their business either. And so So are you suggesting that are you suggesting that perhaps non profit farm entities that support farmers through grants, et cetera, uh, subsidies? may well be compromised. Is that what you're su- suggesting? No. Well, it's not so much compromised, but conflicted maybe is a slightly better term in the fact that they don't want to give up the payments on one side and the program benefits on one side. And there are payments and benefits that can result from that in exchange for truly battling freedom. And I, and at some point, the the... So here's really the problem, Andrew, and I'm not trying to like give the groups even a pass here. I don't, frankly. I call them out on a regular basis. But the but the reality is is that our real enemy here is the federal government, and we kind of lose sight of that once in a while, especially when they write you a check. And well, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Jay. Here's the thing. The reason I ask you that question is that I suddenly, you know, because you become so, I've become so conspiratorial. I'm now questioning lots of things that I never questioned before. And one of them is that a lot of these organizations, and I'm going to use our National Farmers Union as an example. They have farmers that sit on committees that only want to help and support other farmers in their future. But actually, the the actual organization itself has, in many cases, not just paid employees, but highly paid employees. And the problem is that those employees effectively work for the government. And that is where I've realized the the weakness is. They are basically so, civil servants for what you would describe as a federal government. In some cases, I, I think we have that here as well. I, I want to intervene because Angel happens to come from the state that has this biggest problem at the state level. And at the state level, I'm not going to say that anybody we're talking about, in particularly two organizations, is working for the federal government. I agree with Jay that they are preservationists. They have found a way to tap into a revenue supply that's beneficial to their organization. And too many times what happens is the the administrators of those organizations, the executive director, whatever their title may be, only give the information they want to their farmer members on the board of directors to make a decision going forward. That's at the state level. Yeah. At the federal level, uh, there are I don't I don't want to say, Jay, that they are they're working for the federal government, but their ideologies are in line with more federal control instead of all about empowering the membership of their base. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's precisely right. You said it perfectly. The listen, the bigger the bigger and broader discussion and I think Andrew alludes to it as well that they're having the problem with it there as well is is this real simple real simple discussion that we all need to look in the mirror and have and ask ourselves on a regular basis, especially in agriculture because we used to be a lot more independent than we are today. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. The question is, who do you put your faith and trust in to the, make decisions for your operation? The federal Absolutely. government, your state government, the people that you pay to advise you, people like Andrew or maybe even me or, or you, Trent, when it comes yeah. to a breeding program or something that's involved in their operation um, or a neighbor or what? And I and, and my my point is is that while we have quote unquote experts, yeah, <laughs> see that's who I trust. And well, Harvest Moon, Beaver Moon, Beaver Moon. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> so you can you you can either trust the people who are experts, air quotes, right, um, from the federal government, who very who may have all kinds of letters after their name, right? And have all kinds of degrees and things on the wall in their office and had years of experience telling people how to operate a farm. Or you could, or if I'm, if I'm doing it, I could go find a really successful farmer and just drill him for questions. Right. Um, There's kind of two ways to go about it. I think I'm, I'm tending to agree with Trent, more than more than I should in the, in these discussions now because I do think we need a root and branch, um, if you like re restructuring of virtually every organisation that's that, that 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 actually benefits from farming. Um, because I do think that the word infiltration is uh, is a real real threat to the future of this planet, and I and I and I really do think that we. We need to go back to as much as local as we can get and then to re- rebuild our industry. I'll, I'll um, just go all the way out there, Andrew. The worst organization in the United States that, that's in my sphere, I'm not including Fruits mm-hmm. and Nuts from California because I don't know the inner workings mm-hmm. of those groups. Yeah. The, I'll just, I'm going to put this into context before I say this. The pork industry has roughly 60 to 70 million and checkoff dollars, which checkoff dollars are collected from the producers for every animal sold and used for research, development, and promotion. The beef yeah. industry has roughly 80 million. The dairy industry has $320 million in checkoff funds when you include the processors. And if you look at what's happened in fluid milk consumption and that period of time that the dairymen are paying such a high a rate on their checkoff, it's a direct implication of the people that have been hired to run these checkoff programs do not know what they're doing and don't know how to empower their producers. Or they do know what they're doing. Or they do. Or they do know what they're doing. And they're trying they, to They actually, the because I know most of them, they become self-preservationists, so they do what they can to preserve themselves instead of empower their members. I think one of the things that I'm learning very quickly because of everything being so much um, uh, magnified by what we've just been through with this pandemic is just how much lies have been told around the origins, the health benefits and the source of food. It is just, this is probably the the biggest scandal Mm -hmm. 
I can ever imagine. And, and, and I, and I do believe that what you've just said is right. If you had all that money to be able to market in today's potential, um, technological explosion with regards to marketing, that we should be massively increasing the sales of dairy produce, meat, milk, and eggs. It's 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 obvious to me that something is stopping well, that. One minute, Jim. Um, our friends are listen. Uh, our biggest enemy on nutrition issues in the United States is the federal government. Mm-hmm. Period. Because they open their doors to people who want our industries yeah. to disappear, and they allow them to make decisions about what our industries should do. And you just you just have to let that settle on yourself for a little bit and understand that that is one of the absolute facts that that. Uh, but that you, we you face. see, I'm sorry. Okay, Jay. After the break, I want to argue that you're not quite right there. Okay, that's a great segue, Andrew Henderson, Jay Truett, Trent Loose. We will take a break and we'll be back with more vibrant discussion. We don't argue. We have vibrant discussion, and it's happening after this. (laughs) Now, let's for a moment talk about keeping the lights on and the water running. I'm talking about lignite coal. The lignite scenario is quite interesting. You see the difference between lignite from North Dakota and the coal from Wyoming is the water content. Just a little tidbit that I picked up on recently. But if you go to the website, lignite.com, and this is the one thing that I saw up close and personal, and I have friends that are ranching in, let's just say, Oliver County, North Dakota, because that's where I saw it, 22,000 acres of reclaimed lignite mining and counting, returning the land to how it was before it was mined. You see, here's the deal. We cannot utilize these resources, no matter what the industry, whether it be cattle grazing, lignite coal, the uh, recovery of minerals, gold, whatever it is. If you can't return it to its state like it was before you started mining or improve it, it's not going to work. And lignite has done a great job improving it. Check it out online, lignite.com. Life powered by coal. Welcome back. Okay, Jay. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <laughs> no, I want to have a vibrant discussion with Jay. Okay, but a I have to come back discussion. into the segment before you start or nobody's going to oh, hear okay. it. <laughs> Are we back in the segment now? Yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. We're back in the segment now. <laughs> now we're still live. <laughs> Jay. Jay, I, I actually don't think you're totally wrong. I think you're actually right to a point. What I find very, very uh, worrying about the way you just described this is that I think there's a there's an even higher um, organization coordinating all of this, and I think that's the thing that worries me more than ever is that the people that are causing this united front against uh, food and nutrition production are actually much higher than just your federal government. And I'm going on to talk about when Tony Blair says, and this is my quote of him, he says that the World Economic Forum have infiltrated every major Western government in the world. And I truly believe that to be true now. Because this is 
part of their plan. And it, it's, you only have to go, they took it off their website, but you've only got to look on the internet to find out this is exactly what they wanted to do was infiltrate officials to move us to um, the Great Reset by restricting food and gaining control over human beings. Simple. Yeah, I don't, I don't really doubt that that probably happened from some group, but I, uh, so listen, as a lobbyist, that's what I do too. I mean, I infiltrate, I try to figure out ways to influence and infiltrate federal systems for the last 30 years. I don't really so much uh, in the same way today because I just work in an advisory role for people and I train people on lobbying, but uh, the, that, that was my job, right? And uh, was to do that. And I think one of the things that um, innocently as agriculture and rural people is that we, uh, for, for maybe a, a century, we believed that people looked at us a certain way. And so we acted a certain way. And we didn't believe that anyone had ill intent to take advantage of us because we did something that we felt like was honorable and was perceived to be honorable. That is produce food and fiber for the world. And, and what we, what we failed to realize was that over the last, say uh, maybe the last 30 years, and this may have gone on a little longer, you have to go back really honestly to the Sierra club's original charter to start seeing some of those foundation documents, at least of organizations in the United States that had a different opinion about a growing world population. When you talk to people in agriculture, you say, yeah, we want the world population to grow and we want to meet that challenge, right? That was just the way that we looked at it, talked about it. That was our being. That was who we were. For them, they looked at it that there's too many people already on the planet uh, and that came about in the in the 50s and 60s from that group. And by the 60s, defined a charter that there's just too many people here, you know, and um, you're crowding out the animals. And we could talk for weeks, right, about what that statement just means. But what I want people mm-hmm. to focus on is to understand that there really are people that are working just as hard as we are now. Um, but I still ah, think in agriculture. Okay. No, no, I agree. No, I agree with yeah. that. I, you're saying that there is a resistance building. I would agree with that. I, oh, I it's built. That. Yeah, I think the problem yeah. is we believe it's still just like this new thing, and the reality is it's got about thirty years worth of history behind it already. They're good well, at what they do. Yeah, let me give you an example. I, I walked through the amount of money that the dairy industry had to market, research, and promote dairy products. Uh huh. And I said it's $320 million, put it in context of what beef and pork have. It sounds like a lot of money. Two organizations in the animal rights community, I'm not even including the Sierra Club, which I hope we don't name again, but I'm not even including them. Just two organizations, the two wealthiest in the animal rights community, have $480 million in revenue annually. And there's another 10 behind them. Yeah. But Trent, Trent, I'm going to... I want to give you some. I want to give you some positivity here. If you, your message is true and your message is right and your message is easy for people to understand, um, no, it, 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 there becomes a point when the amount of money isn't 
the, the big thing because the amount of money you're describing can easily, uh, you can easily put together an advertising stroke media campaign that it doesn't matter what the opposition do, you would win it if you're on the right side of the argument. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That it, you, uh, might, I, I it, want you, you that can't to be just true. Keep doing that with money, it doesn't. There's, there's a point where you've got enough money to win, and that was proven uh, okay. by our Brexit okay. vote. That was proven by our the Remain, the Remain um, campaign had four times the money, and they lost. Yeah. Well, that's been my contention through a campaign to help Teresa Thibodeau be the next governor. When I looked Governor Ricketts in the eye and said, I don't care how much money she has, we're going to win because the people are going to know the difference. And he said, Trent, that's like saying redefining gravity. And in politics, the most money wins every time. And that needs to be fixed. It's a problem. I did did quantify that because I think, because I know, because you've told me what happened with Teresa and yourself. You were, you, and I'm just using look, my experience listen, as a bigger picture. That's not just if our, you are, it's happening everywhere. If you had, you were, you were trailing in that big league by a 30 to one ratio in money. I, I did say there comes a point when the money doesn't matter. I, unfortunately for you, you were no, nowhere near at the point where you were competing on the money scale. That's the, but, that's the point I'm trying to make. But again, but I'm we, making my point that it's not just about our race. And Jay has been involved in this a lot longer than me. Unfortunately, we are in a position where the person with the most money wins the political race. That must be fixed. Well, I, I don't think, I, I, I certainly, I don't, I think that you, you, you know that that's not true in America because there are candidates that have won against huge amounts of money, especially in the latest house, uh, results. So at the end of the day, Such what I'm, all I'm trying to say is that there is enough money. Well, there's a stage where you get to enough money where it doesn't matter what the opposition do, you will win if you've got the right argument. All right, we have a caller. We'll see what that caller says. Caller, what do you say about money in politics? Oh, I thought we did. Rebecca, are you there? Ooh. Well, See, just when I think it's going to work, something fails. All right, Jay. No, I, so I, no, listen, I, I sat and I listened to the conversation. I think, I think Andrew's point's absolutely valid. I do think that there's like a minimum threshold. It's a huge threshold that you get to, and you can yeah. be competitive with somebody that spends more than you. Not, maybe not 30 times what you spend, but, no. Um, but it, but I, and I don't know what that magic number is, but it's big. But listen, I my my point is something slightly different, and it's the point that doesn't that doesn't really require money to be the primary factor in the calculation, and that is is that our opposition, even inside of places like USDA, um, the Food Nutrition Service, et cetera, yeah. our opposition really uh, in the in agriculture today has become academics that that come out of a system and get appointed to boards and other factors right yes and and if you just if you just think about uh trying to go before the 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 nutrition committee at usda and you look around i've been in that room and you look around the room and there is a bunch of emaciated vegans that are sitting on the other side of the table that 
when you bring up the fact that there's no iron in the diet that they just recommended, they say, yeah, but there's also none of that, none of that horrible red meat, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. literally what they, what they, uh, what they're about. And so. It, and and on top of that. Not. I talk with Nina Teicholtz on a regular basis. She's been the leading person in the entire country to sit in front of that committee. And they literally ban her because she doesn't yeah. say what they want to hear. So they oh, don't absolutely. let her talk. Absolutely. Well, yeah. well that's, happen- that's happening an awful lot. But you know what, Trent? Think of the money that these governments and uh, uh, vaccine companies have spent trying to get people to take boosters and in the UK, on the latest booster, those that were offered the booster jab, 96% of them have declined. So that tells me that no amount of money sometimes will, will, will actually win the argument. Yeah. I, wow. I, I'm not so I, 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 agree, you know. I agree with that basic premise, but I think one of the conditions that you have to put on that statement is, who is it coming from, Right. Yeah, the federal government, federal governments across the world, maybe, uh, or at least in a big chunk of the world that we're going to pay attention to here this morning uh, or today. um, uh, They used to have some credibility when it came to talking to their people. And I think whether you're talking about what's going on in Australia on that subject matter now, Mm -hmm. uh, New Zealand, um, the, uh, the UK, USA. Uh, the Canadians yep. haven't quite got it yet, uh, but even places like Mexico and Brazil and and other places on the planet, France for sure, uh, people have lost their co- confidence in the information that their their federal government is giving them. Yeah, yeah. I when it comes heard. to food nutrition, uh, uh, they still kind of believe them. My world of Canadians are with us. Oh. oh, yeah. No. Yeah. If you go to Alberta and Saskatchewan, uh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Go to Ontario. I even got invited right. yesterday to go speak in Ontario. That might be happening in March. We'll see. Well, Stand by. Yeah. You may we, come back with your mustache trim. I may not come back. Yeah. <laughs> Are you allowed to go? <laughs> yeah, Are you I allowed can go. to go to um, Castro Trudeau's country? Yes, yeah. I am. Absolutely. Because we're not, we're not from Britain, so we can do anything <laughs> we want. Roll route. We'll be back with the last segment right after this. I want to remind you about the opportunity. It is an honor to say thank you to these men and women who have risked everything to protect our freedom. The Wall of Honor does it in a great way. I love this whole concept, the captivating Wall of Honor that is simply a monitor put in your business and a little black box that contains the individual's in your local community, not only the veterans, but the first responders who contribute to making the community exactly that, a community. More details about that can be found on the web, thewallofhonor.org. It's all about saying thank you. And don't forget to stop in at Brush, Colorado, High Plains Cattle Supply. Say hi to Robert and see what he's got up his sleeve today. Welcome back. Trent Luce alongside Jay Truett, Andrew Henderson, and we believe we now have a caller. Go ahead, caller. Are you there, Rebecca? (laughs) 
She thinks she's got this figured out, but she doesn't. And I can see that her meter is is not saying anything. She's like muted. Do you know how to work your well, equipment, Rebecca? If you're the producer of this, Trent, I've got to tell you, this is not going to win an, a, a Grammy or an Oscar. I've got to tell yeah. you, it's not. Um, hey, guess what? <laughs> that would make my day not to win a Grammy. <laughs> I tell you what, I... Uh, the Grammy, the Grammy, uh, the Grammy event the other night uh, created a whole new set of enemies. Uh, I'm pretty sure. the The interesting thing is, yeah, I think. I mean, and this is not to take sponsored by Pfizer. Well, yeah, but interestingly enough, it's only been in the last couple of years that um, they added the Christian contemporary Christian uh, music to the award ceremonies, right? And then they do this satanic, there's no way that you can call that anything but satanic demonstration um, with a dozen Christian artists that were hoping to win an award there that night that had changed their schedules. And in one case, I know one of the one of the people had literally, literally canceled a show, a concert that was sold out and had everyone reschedule for the following evening so that he could attend the Grammys because he'd never, uh, he never dreamed that he would get a Grammy nomination. And uh, now I can, I can just imagine what, uh, what he had to go back and tell everybody uh, at his concert on uh, Monday evening instead of Sunday <laughs> evening. Uh, it must've been pretty interesting, but yeah. It's the world we it's the world we it, live in today, and you better face it and realize that's that's who the enemy is. Well, hey, hey here's the deal: there's really nothing new going on. It's just now they expose themselves so we can oh, prepare yeah. ourselves and our family better. That that's yeah. really at the end of the day the good story. Yeah, now we see it, right? Well, yeah. Well, you have to ex- you have to think that they're really e- either very comfortable in showing everybody what they're up to, or you know, somebody's allowing this to happen so the world can see the tyranny. Agreed. I, I, I think, I think uh, what you said first, Andrew, is the case. I think they're completely comfortable with where they are. Yeah, and they're well, not. A, they're no it, longer it, it, afraid of what the reprisal is going to be. Okay, but really, this mm. conversation isn't any different than what we were talking about before. And Jay, I wanted to add this: that when you're talking about the world population growing. And we just want to be able to feed that world population because we know the resources are here to make it happen. It's just get out of our way, allow us to use technology to make it to make it happen and technology and our work ethic. But at the end of the day, the people that we work against are earth earth worshipers and we're worshiping God. I mean, it's that simple. We're worshiping the creation. They're worshiping what was created. Yeah. I think you get. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Creator. I think you can do both. Creator, I misspoke. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I think you can do both, and I don't think um, we need to separate it between religion and and wanting to look after our planet. I think the two things are the same. Oh, I no, I don't. I don't think those two have to. I don't think that being a, a food producer necessarily means that you don't believe that the planet needs to be protected i believe the opposite uh i i mean i was raised on a family catalog yeah so do i and and i think people in agriculture believe that absolutely anybody who's been successful in agriculture understands that you either take care of your resources or you are out of business period Mm -hmm. plain and simple there's no 
There's no uh, equivocation I, I, on that. But look, if somebody said to me, "What's the most important is, at, at this moment in time?" Trent, I think you've said this. How many years do you think we've got of fossil fuel? Am I right? Is it something like eight? Eight hundred years of coal, and I, I, I don't, okay. I don't think we'll ever run out of uh, petroleum, yeah, oil. Okay, so let's just so, I, and I say so. Just say there was any credit. Just put it this way: if there was credibility in climate change and uh, the green, um, you know, carbon neutrality. In order to not bankrupt humanity and starve people to death, the, the sensible thing to do would be to do this over a period of maybe 150 years so that um, we don't put a huge financial burden on our uh, children and our children's children, but also that we don't allow other countries who don't toe the line, if that was the truth, um, to take a huge mm-hmm. advantage by not adhering to that. Now, this is the bit that I don't get because... I look at this and I go, what we could all buy into is simple. And these things would make a much bigger difference to the future of our planet. And one would be um, recycling. That is obviously something we should be looking at as a, as a world. You know, let's use things that we can recycle, not use things oh, that we, we are, have to just we throw are away. We are wasteful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's the main, if everybody, I don't think anybody, if you said, mm-hmm. right, well, we're not going to have any packaging that you can just throw away anymore. It's all got to be recyclable. I, there'll be no, there'll be nobody that wouldn't do that. And that to me is where we should be going to start some phony um, windmill that costs far too much to run or a net electric car where, you know, collapses. African children are, are used as slaves to manufacture the the, the the elements that are needed to make the battery. Same in China. The opposite is actually happening with all this nonsense these people are coming out with than the reality. Yeah. yeah I... All right. So hold on, Jay. Rebecca was not able to get her audio to work, but she was able to type her comment and leads to a question, which then, Jay, you can just fire off on. That'll be perfect. I think, as yeah. Rebecca saying, I think that we're getting ready to declare a war emergency, which begs the question, what will happen to the farmers if governments do what they did to farmers during World War II? Jay Truitt? Yeah. That, and in the, in the United States, that is when we began the, government, the, the government's uh, influence over decision-making inside of uh, agriculture. That was the, the first time that the government came out and said, you will do this mm-hmm. or you will not be operating. And um, my, uh, my father, who is 93 years old, uh, has a lot of trouble remembering what happened in the last 15 or 20 years. But one of the most crystal clear visions in his head is when a guy from the government came out and killed all their cows. Right. And. Um, he, he still doesn't really understand why, um, because there were hungry people in his neighborhood. People were hungry there and they destroyed those cows, um, because they, they needed them to move into a dairy type operation and they needed them to move into a row crop operation. They didn't need them in the beef business. And, okay. uh, But Rebecca's question though, are you answering that? I, I am because I think, no. I think the the, the people lost control of their own property and they were told what they were going to do with their property. And, and it was gone forever. 
And again, to her point, what happened in other places in the world made us look like a, a candy store. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's still in some places the 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 again. My point is is that we that's when we created the regime in agriculture. That's when worldwide we created the system. If you could starve to death in World War One and it didn't make news. If you starved to death in World War II, it at least made the news. And they intended to keep the troops fed. That was the, that they were not going to lose the war for the first yeah. time. Everyone on both sides agreed we're not going to lose. That's the war absolutely true. Men That's absolutely hungry. true. And so well, here, here's, a, here's the thing. The idea that we're going to send tanks to Ukraine, that's called World War Three. That was said by uh, Joe Biden in March the 11th, 2022. Yeah. Today, I'm announcing that the United States will be sending Abraham tanks to Ukraine. was less than a year later in January the 25th, 2023. But let me tell you something that I don't know whether you both know this. Um, the person in charge of the, uh, the, the so-called assault on Crimea for Zelensky resigned yesterday. And he cited the fact that 600,000 Russian troops had amassed on the border and they weren't ready. Yeah. So I I think if America was to declare war on Ukraine, they're going to get absolutely crushed before they even start. There you go. Yeah, I I just don't know enough to comment about it. I mean, we live in a I don't, country that I don't is allowed a, I, 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 well, a spy balloon to fly all the way I do, over my house. Jay, it literally went above my we head. We have a commander-in-chief. Their balloon dead? Yeah. Came right across here. It went from there was Whiteman. two balloons. We have a, there went two from, balloons. It went from Whiteman, Whiteman Air Force Base and then swept down and swept across Fort Leonard Wood in, in Missouri. I, I heard of uh, things are getting oh, out in the UK. Of course it did. Yeah. Th- things are getting out here in the UK that, in actual fact, the the Ukrainians are losing massively now, and uh, we, there's videos of constricts being dragged out of their houses to go and fight for the Ukrainian army. I can tell you that uh, I don't believe there is going to be a war, and I don't believe that Joe Biden. Not only isn't he going to do it, I don't think he can do it because they haven't even got enough soldiers to drive those tanks. That's where we're going here. Well, so there you go. Our our military is very decimated, no doubt about it. I, I'm not going to go so far as to say we don't have enough soldiers to drive the tanks that we would send there. But the moral of the story is, and it has been the moral of this program story for a long time, the world is not what it once was. The question is, what are you doing to get yourself ready for anything that might come yeah. down the pike? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 30 true. seconds left. Jay, you want to finish it up? I'm going to buy ducks versus chickens. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat chickens, but I do like duck. Um, yeah, and duck eggs like, are bigger and taste and creamier. Th- yeah, I like them. Uh, I, there's already two jerseys in the... Um, Guernsey's in the pasture and so I'm set um, between mm-hmm. that and a handful of cows I'm good to go So thanks for your contribution Rebecca as always Andrew and Jay I'm Trent Luce all four of us reminding you along with Andrew's cricket that all roads Sorry, do lead I'm, I'm about to go see you guys to a roll route.
Bye. The family today, let's talk about what it takes to maintain a free and fed America. It does not maintain, maintaining it does not require passiveness or complacency. It requires being a dutiful citizen. And part of that dutiful citizen is actually standing up for your property rights and your community property rights and working collectively to maintain the ownership of animals to improve the planet and improve human health. Protect the Harvest works day in and day out at maintaining all of these property rights. Go to the website, empower it yourself, protecttheharvest.com.